This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. A reading from the prophets, Isaiah 2, 1-5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Is anyone here a morning person? Oh, I see a few hands raised, including one from my own household. That's dangerous. A few, not a lot, not a lot of morning people. I am not a morning person. It takes me at least two cups of coffee before I feel like a human being. At least. Wow. Wow. Ouch. Tough crowd. And honestly, I don't like to interact with people before 10 a.m., which is why we don't start church at 9. On a typical weekday, uh, to bring the kids to school, and our oldest has to be there by 7.30, and so I have to get up at 6.45. It's brutal. (laughs) Believe me, it is brutal. Some of you are like, that sounds like sleeping in. (laughs) Anyone here get up earlier than that? How early? 5.30, 5.45. Anyone go earlier? 4.30? (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like bedtime, says someone over there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, whether we're a morning person or not, uh, there's a sense perhaps in which we all need to wake up in another way. At times, we can find ourselves simply going through the motions, right? Sleepwalking through life, as it were. We can look around and say, boy, where did that month go? Or... Where did that year go? Or where did the last five years go, right? It happens to us. It happens to all of us. The great spiritual master, Anthony DeMello, says spirituality means waking up. And then he says most people, even though they don't know it, are asleep. They're born asleep. They live asleep. They marry in their sleep. They breed children in their sleep. They die in their sleep without ever waking up. Could that really be possible? Sounds pretty harsh to say most people. 
I think for many of us, perhaps it goes in waves, right? There's times where we feel awake and present to life, and other times where we are kind of just going through things. The story is told about the father who knocks on his son's door. That's better. <clears throat> Jamie, he says, wake up. Jamie answers, I don't want to get up, Papa. The father shouts, get up, you have to get to school. And Jamie says, I don't want to go to school. This is sounding familiar, actually. Well, why not? Why don't you want to go to school, says the father. Three reasons, says Jamie. First, because it's so dull. Second, the kids tease me. And third, I hate school. And the father says, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you must go to school. First, because it's your duty. Second, because you're 45 years old. And third, because you're the headmaster. <laughs> there is, I think, a voice every day inviting us, calling to us to wake up. And sometimes I think we hear and heed that voice. And other times we kind of pretend not to hear, keep going our own way, and at other times we don't hear anything at all. And yet the invitation is to wake up, to wake up to ourselves, to wake up to life, to wake up to God. But often the alarm goes off a little too early and we hit snooze, I just need 10 more minutes, you tell yourself. Your child perhaps asks to read a story with you or play a game, and you hit snooze, just 10 more minutes. You hear about a neighbor who just lost a spouse, and the voice says, I should stop over there, maybe bring some food, or at least ask how it's going. But you hit snooze. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week I'll get to that. As the holidays approach, you perhaps cringe knowing the strained relationships, the frequent misunderstandings, the guilt, the blame. A voice says, maybe this year I'll be open. I won't be so defensive. I'll listen. We'll start fresh. Another voice says, next year. Another time. You go on a walk in the woods determined to experience the outdoors, to be refreshed, to breathe. But tensions from work and home creep in, narrowing your vision and quickening your pace. And you don't even see the beautiful maple, which has not yet shed its leaves. Demela says, waking up is unpleasant. You're nice and comfortable in bed. It's irritating to be woken up. He says that's the reason the wise guru will not attempt to wake people up. People might get angry if they get woken up. And sometimes, for honest, sleepwalking through life is more comfortable. And so we numb ourselves, right, with distractions, with routine, maybe with alcohol or some other comforting addiction. Yet the venerable theologian Walter Brueggemann says that Advent invites us to wake up from our numbed existence, to wake up from our domesticated expectations, to consider our lives afresh. And our text in Isaiah is such an invitation. This text that we read from Isaiah is originally spoken, written to a people who are in exile, who are gone from their homeland, whose holy city of Jerusalem has been burned. Yet the prophet invites them and us to imagine a day when disputes are settled between individuals and nations through divine wisdom. 
where arguments are settled peacefully rather than through lawsuits and land wars, where the very instruments of war themselves are turned into farming tools that feed us and nourish us. He imagines us, he invites us to imagine a world where we don't even train or even plan for war. It's a beautiful, beautiful vision. A beautiful picture of humanity and creation in harmony and in sync. And I think this is a vision we all long for, right? I think people, regardless of nation, regardless of religious conviction, we all long for peace. It's a deep human longing. And in fact, this text is engraved on a wall outside of the headquarters of the United Nations in New York City. Isn't that something? These words from Isaiah will turn their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. They will not train for war anymore. I'm glad that's there, and I hope people look at it from time to time. And yet, we kind of numb ourselves to thinking that that's not really possible, right? That's not real life. We simply accept that argument and confrontation is how our personal relationships will go. We settle for national policy that makes violence a viable and frequent option. We accept that brutality and armed conflict are simply inevitable. And we also tell ourselves that we really can't do anything about it. We just have to sit back and trust that God will work it all out. Yet the prophet does not let us off the hook like that. After laying out this dazzling vision of peace, he doesn't say, take comfort that one day, far, far down the road, this is going to happen. At the end of laying out this incredible vision, he says, well, we'll go up and say, God, teach us your ways. His ways of peace. He says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He invites people to hear and see this vision and then to begin to walk in it. And so this vision is meant to move us to action. It's not for someday. It's for today. It's for right now. So how do we wake up, right? How do we begin to even do this? Mahatma Gandhi in the 20th century said, there is no way to peace. There is only peace. There is no way to peace. There's only peace. In other words, peace is not just out there. Peace is every piece along the way, every step along the way. Or as Thich Nhat Hanh put it, peace is every step. Right? So often we're told, well, we have to do this violent thing because we want peace over at the other end of it. So if we do enough of that violence against enough of the right people, eventually we'll get to peace. But it's ludicrous to imagine that violence and hatred and war will undo violence, hatred, and war. But that's what we keep doing. Like the prophet and wise figures invite us, no, the steps to peace 
must be the peace that we want to get to in the end. Jesus said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And so we have to believe peace is possible and that it can be achieved by peaceful means. And now in case you just think I'm only talking about world peace or something that seems impossible for any of us to accomplish or think about, I think it's also an invitation to our own lives, right, every day. And of course, so as I'm writing this sermon, I've got my kids home from school this week and it's pure chaos, right? <laughs> Absolute chaos. And I'd love to say that I never lost my temper, right? But you wouldn't believe me and you'd be right. And yet me losing my temper might bring a short-term Something, right? It might get a moment of quiet, but I really don't think it's going to bring the long-lasting benefit that I really want for my kids. It's like there's invitations for each of us in our everyday situations to think, how might this apply? In an Advent, of course, we anticipate the birth of Jesus, the one we call the Prince of Peace. And he modeled in his life how we can do this in certain ways. He modeled creative, nonviolent approaches to resisting injustice and power and difficult relationships. He told subversive stories. He crossed social boundaries. He went outside the traditional channels for healing and purification. He staged a mockery of Caesar, the emperor of Rome, by entering Jerusalem on a donkey. He did a public demonstration at the seat of power in the temple And he didn't resist or fight back when he's arrested, when he's mocked, when he's beaten and eventually killed. So Jesus modeled in so many ways the ways of peace. But then we'll still ask, can can nonviolence, can peace actually work? It sounds nice, but try to nonviolently stop a grenade or a missile or a bullet. I hear this argument often. Dr. Gene Sharp, a former professor at Harvard and Dartmouth, spells out some misconceptions about nonviolence in his book, uh, I think I have it, but it's not handy, uh, called Waging Nonviolent Struggle. And he lists, actually he lists 10 misconceptions about nonviolence, but I'll just share five. He says, nonviolent action has nothing to do with passivity, submissiveness, or cowardice. Nonviolent action does not depend on the assumption that people are inherently good. So it's not just some naive thing that, well, if everybody is going to hold hands, then maybe it'll work. And then he says, third, in order to use nonviolent action effectively, people do not have to be pacifists or saints. He says, in fact, if you look at history, nonviolent action is often carried out by very ordinary people. And that gives me some hope because I'm one of those ordinary people, as are most of us. Four, he says, nonviolent action is not limited to domestic conflicts within democratic systems or toward gently, uh, gentle and restrained opponents. Nonviolent struggle has been used against powerful governments, foreign occupiers, despotic regimes. And then last myth about nonviolence is many believe that violence works quickly. We don't have time for nonviolence because that takes a long time. If we had more time, right, then maybe we could think about that, but we need to step in now. But he goes on to show that, in fact, many armed conflicts and wars last years or even decades. In fact, I think we've been in Afghanistan at war for 14 years and counting. 
He says some nonviolent struggles have brought victories very quickly, even within days or weeks. Well, what are some examples of nonviolent action? Protest marches, flying forbidden flags, massive rallies, vigils, social boycotts, economic boycotts, labor strikes, civil disobedience, sit-ins, hunger strikes, occupation of offices, public speeches, letters, petitions, posters, banners, books, marches, teach-ins, non-cooperations. He says even worship services can be a form of nonviolent action for peace. Often my excuse is I don't know what to do. There's a lot of things we can do. Gandhi said, there is no way to peace, there is only peace. Thich Nhat Hanh said, peace is every step, or as our prophet Isaiah puts it, walking in the light. In the early 1960s, California farm workers suffered from abject poverty, displacement, homelessness, and extreme economic exploitation. And collectively, these farm workers were among the lowest of the low class in the western part of the United States. Many of them worked without any union representation and they were being paid less, much less than living wages. Well, in the summer of 1965, Filipino and Mexican-American grape, grape pickers had had enough and they were ready to do something. And so they staged a walkout and they went on strike. The growers and the corporations waited out the strike believing that the workers' hunger and poverty would force them back into the fields. If we just don't acknowledge their demands, they need to eat. So we'll just wait them out and eventually they'll get back to work. On the fifth day, however, the bosses shut off electricity at the workers' camps where they lived. They barricaded families inside of their shacks and began to recruit strike breakers from Mexico so that the work could be done. So well, if we have other workers, then who cares about these workers? Well, this led to the recruitment of a young Chicano leader, Cesar Chavez, and his Mexican-based National Farm Workers Association. So he called his organization together and encouraged his workers to join the strike, saying that they were in a struggle for the freedom and dignity which poverty denies us. And he said it must not be a violent struggle, even if violence is used against us. And so his people joined the strike, and the strike persisted for two months. Well, the farm foremen were furious about the strike, and they beat the picketers while the police stood by and watched. The foreman drove trucks at the picket lines, or they used tractor discs to kick up dirt to choke them. Hired security guards fired shotguns over workers' heads to scare them into crossing the picket lines so that they could then arrest them. And strikers were sprayed with harmful fertilizer and pesticides. This is how we treat each other, people who are just trying to live. Well, under these conditions, unsurprisingly, some of the farm workers were tempted to resort to violence themselves. And so some acts of violence did occur. And at some point, this is now, I believe, a few years into the effort, Chavez himself went on a hunger strike and fasted 25 days 
and he lost 30 pounds. And he said, I'm not going to eat until we collectively recommit to nonviolence. And when he finally ate, he was surrounded by 6,000 supporters. The national media, even Senator Robert Kennedy, came. And so finally, light, national light had been shed on the plight of these workers. And finally, these workers gained rights, including fairer wages and union representation. And Chavez said that their victories proved that through nonviolent action in this nation and across the world, justice really can be achieved. We might say, well, if there was something like that happening today, maybe I'd get involved, or maybe I'd say something, or maybe I'd do something. Well, I think we all know things like this are happening today. Things like this are happening right now. At Standing Rock, as we've already noted, there are men and women from the Sioux and other Native American tribes standing against violence in order to protect the local sacred land and local water sources against the building of an oil pipeline. And these nonviolent resistors have faced water cannons at sub-freezing temperatures. They face tear gas, rubber bullets, stinger grenades. They've been attacked by dogs. Some have been put in dog cages for hours at an end. No trial, no anything. We're just going to put you in this cage. Now, I'm not sure the answer is for us all to run out there. In fact, that probably isn't the answer, but there are other ways for us to get involved. We can call politicians and representatives. We can sign petitions. We can pressure political leaders, including our president, to act. We can donate and provide items. These folks need to survive the harsh conditions of winter that are coming. We can contribute to their legal defense. We can speak out against the corporations that are working. There are things we can do in that situation, certainly. We can also look at local situations. It's happening here in the Holland area. Where are people at risk and being left out of systems of support and justice? We can look at ourselves, our own lives, our own families, our own neighborhoods. In nearly all the examples given this effort toward peace is a cooperative effort. So we need each other. We need community committed to peace. We need friends who can help us become peaceful people ourselves. We need the vision of Isaiah to inspire us and to wake us up. And I think all of this has to be undergirded by hope. We began our service lighting this Advent candle of hope. Hope in God and that God is at work in ways both visible and invisible to move humanity and the hearts of human beings toward his vision, peace. And so if we hear a voice this Advent, a voice calling us to wake up, may it be the voice of the prophet who says, come, let us walk in the light. Amen. Namaste. Now as we go from this place, may we remember that the world is too beautiful to be praised by only one voice. And so may we have the courage, each of us, to sing our part.
The world we've shared today is too broken to be healed by only one set of hands. So may we have the courage to use our gifts. As we go in this season of Advent, may the light and hope of God shine upon you and in you and through you. Amen. 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 Go in peace. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.